Welcome to the Jungets Games Podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a live Q&A vlog that was recorded on August 4th, 2020. Now, I will be answering the questions in the order that I received them, and I have edited all of the blank spaces out to try and make this as consolidated a podcast as possible. Before we move on, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign. You can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games. and if you enjoy listening to my vlogs instead of watching them, then I do hope you would consider supporting the campaign. The final thing to ask before we jump into the Q&A is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as comments on the YouTube page for the vlog, and I have provided a link to that in the description of this podcast. This came in from Koiti Okada, and they asked, are you planning to create more top 10 lists? Um, now, that is an interesting question because I've made a few top 10 lists over, you know, the years, um, but it's never really been a priority for me. So the short answer to that one is uh, it's likely I will make more top 10 lists in the future, but I really only make them when I am pushed into making them. Uh, they are uh, oftentimes uh, requested by the contributing producer level supporters over at the Patreon campaign. So that's a main way that it happens. And I made a bunch to kind of coincide with a Patreon uh, big pledge drive that I did a couple of years ago. It's possible I might do something like that again, but in general, the best way uh, to make me do a top 10 list is to have that be voted up as the contributing producer level supporters, which is $20 a month. And that doesn't make sense for a lot of people, but that is an option out there. And, and I'm sure more top 10 lists will happen because of that. So looking up here, um, we have Evincentia. They said, is your favorite color red? You tend to play as the red player when you use the cubes to represent players. Uh, that's really funny. Uh, yes, it's one of my favorite colors to play in board games. And I actually try to actively be different colors, like be orange or blue or green or yellow uh, to mix things up. Um, I tend to gravitate towards red and purple a lot, as well as black. I really like playing black in board games, uh, but black doesn't really show up that well on camera. So if there's a black player option, I usually don't go with that because that can sometimes kind of fall into whatever the, the board is that I'm using. So I try to use the colors that pop off of the board um, and I'm trying not to do red all the time. <laughs> uh, somebody actually pointed out that I like never played green and green is a color I just don't have much interest in playing, but I've intentionally played green a couple of times since then to uh, just kind of break that up. Uh, Shannon asks, uh, this might be too personal. Have you considered moving somewhere with a lower cost of living? A move could give you a little more flexibility in your career choices. Uh, yeah, I, that's definitely something that my wife and I have uh, talked about, you know, loosely uh, off and on. Uh, I've lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for essentially all of my life and in this um, kind of tighter area for about a decade. And um, I'm not against the idea of moving somewhere else, um, but the, some of the places that we'd like to move because we maybe already know people there or have family um, are not necessarily great for career opportunities and also not necessarily super cheap. So it's something that might happen. I, I doubt that we'll live in this house forever and maybe we'll move soonish. I, I don't really know, but by soonish, I mean in a few years. I don't see something happening in the very short term, but you never know what could happen. Uh, we're certainly not like uh, uh, stuck here forever. John Wheeler asks, can you talk about how do you like Tekenu? Uh, I ask because I know it was sponsored. Uh, yeah, okay, so I played Tekenu once um, with the uh, publisher. They taught the game to me. I played a two-player game of it. Uh, I did end up doing a full playthrough of that one, one of the last ones that I made. And um, I feel like I enjoyed the one play of it that I've had. Well, I guess I've played it twice now. Um, but I did feel like, from a personal perspective, 
I had a hard time parsing uh, essentially one third of the game. Uh, part of that game, it's a dice drafting game where there is this temple. And at the temple, you can put these columns down to score in the middle of the grid, and you can put buildings down on the rows and columns. And I had a really hard time figuring out how to play that well, and also how just to score it correctly through the entire first play of it. Uh, once I did the sponsored playthrough, I had it better in my head, but I felt like that one third of the game didn't really rub me very well. I, I didn't like that, the, the way that worked out very well. I like the rest of the game. The, pretty much all of the other stuff going on in the game, I like quite a bit. But the temple mecha mechanic, I'm not super sold on. Uh, I, I do hope to play the game uh, again. I still have that copy of it, so I'm hoping to play that with other people at some point. But I would not say I'm like, crazy excited to do that. Uh, honestly, part of it is that that game can definitely fall into some analysis paralysis, which is something that I suffer from a lot in board games. So sometimes I shy away from games that that let you just fall down that analysis paralysis uh, hole. Uh, a lot of other people don't have that problem like I do. Here we go. Andy G says, should I buy the new Eclipse even if I have the original with three expansions? Oh man, Andy, you have uh, asked a question that I have thought about as well. Uh, Eclipse used to be my favorite game a long time ago. I think I've played the base game 13 times or so. Uh, um, a couple of those were at the full uh, player count of six. Um, I never actually got any of the expansions because I played it so much when it first came out. And I felt like the expansions didn't add anything that I needed. Like I felt like there was still enough um, content inside the base box for me to be happy. But over time, I kind of stopped playing. Honestly, I... I personally had a pretty big problem with the plasma missile mechanic in that game, which I won't go into. That's a bit detailed for a questions and answers vlog, but I felt like they created degenerate game states. And so for a lot of reasons, I stopped playing. And then the second edition came out and it's tweaked a whole bunch of things. It looks prettier and it has tweaked the plasma missiles so that they cost energy instead of not costing energy. And that one single change in this massive epic game is enough for me to want to try it again. Uh, there is a mod for it on Tabletop Simulator and I've been uh, thinking about trying to uh, get a couple of my friends to play that with me on Tabletop Simulator to see if it does feel different enough and if it feels like a game that I still really like enough to go out and get a copy. I actually sold my copy, original copy of Eclipse because I played it so many times and I just did not find myself going back to it. But um, there is a world where I try to get a copy of the new version. I'm just not sure if I'm there yet. Lilia asks a uh, question. I don't know if you are backing something on Kickstarter, but if you do, what was the last campaign that you backed? Um... Let's see here. I've done a couple pre-orders, but as far as Kickstarter is com concerned, I think probably the Isle of Cats. Uh, I did a sponsored playthrough for that one, uh, but I enjoyed the game so much and I'd already played it a couple times um, through its development. I play tested it a couple times with uh, the designer because we're friends. Um, I like that game so much that I decided to buy it. Um, I know I could have asked for a free copy from Frank, but I don't know. It, I don't like asking for free copies all that much. And if I know I really like the game and I want to play it with my friends and whatnot, not even in a John Gets Games perspective, I don't mind uh, putting out some money to to actually purchase a copy. So it's probably that. Uh, the last game that I pre-ordered was Fort. I just uh, pre-ordered that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Baz asks, uh, what's your favorite board game of all time? Lol, I know it's a tough question. Um, yeah, that is a tough question. Um, at the moment... I'm not committing to this entirely, but I feel like it's probably, oh man, this is tough. It, it, I, I've, I go back and forth between really heavy games and not very heavy games at all. Um, so I oftentimes say uh, that A Feast for Odin with the Norwegian's expansion. Without that expansion, A Feast for Odin is really great. With the expansion, it's amazing and, you know, arguably my favorite game ever. Um, but 
I also really enjoy some simpler games. Uh, I just a few days ago, I got to play Carcassonne for the first time in a long time. Uh, I played it two players, and I loved it. I love Carcassonne. Now, I don't think Carcassonne's my number one game ever, but in the middle of that play, when I was enjoying it so much, I felt like, you know, this should honestly be kind of a contender. The rules are so simple, but the gameplay is so interesting and deep in my perspective, and I just enjoy the amount of thinking that goes into a game with a very small rule set versus A Feast Roden, which you know, takes like at least half an hour to teach. So it's really hard to pinpoint down, but um, I, I obviously uh, like really heavy stuff as well as very streamlined stuff as well. Uh, so sorry if that's not the perfect answer to your question, but I'm trying. Julian Walson says, uh, how often do you play test games that are in development? Um, the short answer to that is not very often. Um, I really would like to do more board game development, but I have not been able to get that train going so much <laughs> at this point. Uh, I've done a little bit of development work for a couple of uh, publishers. Uh, for Gambling Games, I did a, a whole series of um, solo game playtesting for their uh, Tiny Epic Western. So that was a long time ago, obviously. That was before that game was published. Um, I playtested that one 25 times as part of um, a kind of a, a, a plan. Like They asked me to do it 25 times, and so there was a lot going into that one. But other ones since then, I've really only played like once or twice before giving some feedback, and th none of that's really caught on. So I'm not sure if that's really going to happen more in the future. It's something I'm trying to do because I enjoy that part of board gaming, um, but I'm still kind of bewildered as to how to uh, monetize that as well as just like get into it. So it's something I'm, I'm trying. I actually just recently sent out um, some information on the development services that I think I can offer to like 30 publishers. So who knows, maybe something will come from that. I'm not really sure. Uh, Lalila asks, did you ever consider developing your own game? Uh, yeah, I've talked about this a couple of times. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, long before Jungus Games was a thing, uh, I decided I want to be a board game designer. So I put like three or four board games through a reasonable amount of development. Um, I called it uh, I actually had a blog that I called the Happy Hexagon Board Game Development Blog. Uh, it was, uh, I think, Happy Hexagon uh, at Blogspot. Uh, it still exists, and I detailed all of my my thoughts through that, and I was, like, really interested, and I went after it a bunch for the first year or so, and then it kind of trickled out to the point where I haven't really worked on it anymore. I will say, in the back of my mind, there's been some thoughts of, like, wouldn't it be kind of fun to try and put together a prototype of a new game in Tabletop Simulator. I've made five mods now for fully published games, and I feel pretty competent with making those prototypes. And a big part of the thing that I didn't like about uh, designing my own game was the prototyping process. And Tabletop Simulator really lowers that. So I don't know, maybe it's something I will poke my head into again at some point, but I have quite a th few things on my plate uh, lately <laughs> with you know going back to school and whatnot. Uh, Jinrei says... While we see a lot of prototype with uh, tutorial playthroughs, do the publishers send you finalized components that weren't available the first time around? Um, I think what you're asking is, um, do I get final copies of games that I made playthroughs for um, from publishers? And it's rare. It, it happens. Uh, usually, um, if it happens, they ask first, and I say yes or no. Um, if I wasn't super into the game that I made a sponsored playthrough for, I will say no, because I would rather not get a free copy of a game that I'm not actively interested in playing. But if I did enjoy it enough and I would like to try it with friends, then I do say yes. But I would say it probably only happens a couple times a year. And that's fine. That's that's totally fine by me. I have a lot of board games to play. Shannon says, uh, or asks, uh, what's the biggest surprise, good or bad, in the games that you've reviewed recently? Um, hmm. That I've reviewed recently. Let me take a quick 
look here. I'm going to look at my uh, the games that I've reviewed recently because honestly, uh, when you ask something like that, I, I will tell you that I haven't played anything recently because my brain just falls right out of my ears. Uh, here we go. Okay, so looking at some of the things I've reviewed in the past uh, couple months, um, I will say that Airland and Sea really blew me away. That was really great. Uh, Masters of Renaissance was a big disappointment, and um, I was really expecting to like that game. I, I, I quite enjoy uh, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, so I was very disappointed with that one. Um, uh, the Inceln im Nebel was fascinating. I, I enjoyed that one uh, quite a bit, and I wasn't really sure where I would be at that one. Uh, I guess Mandala would be probably the biggest surprise, considering I played it a bunch. When I first heard about it, it looked like such an abstract two-player-only card game. It didn't really seem that interesting at all to me, but now I have played that one with four or five different people that I've taught, and it usually gets played back-to-back, so I think that's probably the biggest surprise that I've had uh, recently, and I do think that um, the Masters of Renaissance is the, the biggest disappointment. Bill says, which tea do you prefer more, Tekenu or Teotihuacan? Um, huh. So I've only played Tekenu uh, fully once uh, with with somebody else, and I played Teotihuacan a few times. I honestly, my answer is is neither of them. I guess Tekenu more than Teotihuacan. I want to say Teotihuacan because I want to like Teotihuacan a lot. Um, the base idea of that game with the rondelle that's different and the dice that upgrade as you play through them. I love all of that stuff, but Teotihuacan has too many other things on top of it for me. Uh, just too many other layers. Uh, there's so many different tracks that you're going up. Uh, every single spot has a couple different ways that you can activate. I just feel like if Teotihuacan had 30% less rules, just period, just 30% less mechanics, uh, that would be a slam dunk for me. That would probably be one of my favorite games, but I just don't like it with all of that other stuff on top because I don't like teaching all of that. And also, I just don't think that extra mechanical complexity makes the game better for me. I think there's a better, pristine, elegant game in there somewhere. Uh, Tekenu, I feel like, does have less going on. And because of that, I think just taking the two, I would say Tekenu. Um, but if the ideal Teotihuacan existed, I would like that one more. I think the dice drafting mechanic in Tekenu is really fascinating where they the dice are in the sun or in the shade and how they activate are kind of different or I guess how you're penalized uh, for them is different. That's super neat, but I do think I prefer the Rondell dice growing mechanism in Teotihuacan. Uh, all right, Baz asks, if you could create your own board game, what kind of game would it be? Okay, so uh, I will just, I think I've mentioned this in previous uh, Q&As, but um, the one that I've really been thinking about a lot lately, like if I was to make a new board game right now, or at least the one I would try, would be a communal deck building style worker placement game with incentives. So the the base idea, the thing that I'm thinking of is you have a deck of cards and the cards have actions on them. And through some mechanic in the game, you deal these cards out to spots in the middle of the board and those cards can be activated with workers or perhaps just on your turn, you just activate a whole stack. Now it's incentivization because if nobody takes it, then more cards will be stacked on top of it. And the deck building part that I like, the idea that I have is that that main deck that you are cycling through starts out really small. And as the game goes on, you can put neutral cards in there as well as cards associated with you so that when that card comes out and you activate that stack or action that has your card in it, that you get a special benefit. Uh, maybe your opponents get something as well. Uh, maybe it's inverted or something. Maybe you get penalized if somebody else takes your own card. I just think that's such a neat idea on paper. Maybe it would be an awful game, but um, I just, I like, I like it when things 
are incentivized in games. I like it when something isn't good enough and it keeps getting better until somebody picks it. I think that um, using a communal deck that people are vying to control is something that I haven't really played really before. Maybe it exists, but I don't think I've tried that. So that's the game that's been knocking around my head, honestly, for a year or two. And who knows, maybe I'll actually try to do something with it. Or maybe someone else will take the idea and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I think it, would, it sounds like a fun game to play anyway. Uh, all right. Chris Peters says, when did you start playing board games and with what game? Okay, so the best answer to this one is I started really playing modern board games in 2008. Um, I played board games a bunch as a kid. In fact, I have a couple of board games in my collection that I played as a kid. Like I, my copy of uh, Can't Stop is really old. And like, it's a copy that I played when I was like seven years old. The, the cover is all bleached from the sun because it was like, propped up in a bad spot. And I, uh, I got it from my parents' house at some point in the last 10 years. Uh, I love Can't Stop and that is still played. And it was kind of cool to enjoy playing a game with adult friends that I enjoyed so much when I was a child. But um, I think the best way to answer this is 2008. That's when uh, at a random party that I was invited to by a coworker who I wasn't even that close of friends to, um, I met somebody who was talking about Settlers of Catan. Uh, I had recently just gone through a breakup and I didn't really have many friends. And I think my coworker knew that. So he's like, come to a party with all of my friends. So I showed up there knowing only one person. Uh, but by the end of the night, I had become fast friends with several people, uh, one of whom ended up marrying my sister. Uh, so that worked out really well for her as I became better friends with them. But they played uh, Settlers of Catan every week. And so I mentioned interest. I said, you know, I feel like I've heard about that. Maybe I didn't know anything about it beyond hearing those words. And they invited me to play the game and I just fell hook, line and sinker. Like uh, I ended up playing Catan with them every week for, I don't know, well over a year. At some point I bought the Cities and Knights expansion and gave it to my friend who owned the base game just because I wanted to play it so bad. In fact, that's how I found out that Board Game Geek exist existed because I was trying to figure out if there was an expansion to Catan. And that's, I typed in Settlers of Catan expansion and then this website called Board Game Geek showed up and that was my first experience with that. So, um, yeah, I ended up becoming really great friends with um, pretty much all of those people. Um, we, I've been in several of their uh, wedding parties. And like I said, one of them uh, met my sister through me and they now have a couple of adorable kids. So uh, that worked out in all ways <laughs> for all of us. Uh, all right. Lily, there we go. Uh, Lily asks, uh, what was the game with the worst rules to learn that you did for a playthrough? Hmm. Okay. I think there's a tie for this one, and uh, both of them happened within the last year. Uh, it was uh, Dark Ages uh, that came out from Board and Dice, and um, the uh, Stronghold Undead that came out from Portal Games. The reason for that is because both of those rule books were text documents. There were no images at all, and they're both incredibly complicated games with huge expansive prototypes, and it was really hard to figure out how to play those games going off of a text document. <laughs> you know, no color or anything, no examples. And uh, it, both of those took a lot of effort. Um, as far as, uh, you know, I can't really speak to the quality of those rule books now because those were like alpha rule books long before anybody else gets to see them. But sometimes that happens. Um, I actually had to uh, spend quite a bit of time figuring out how to play Arkwright, the card game, which is still actually right here on the table. I haven't cleaned that one up yet because once again, when I filmed this, they had not put out a rule book that had images. Uh, subsequently, they've now sent me a full 
uh, color version of the rulebook that's way better. Uh, so if I had waited a week to make this video, maybe it would have saved me a couple hours of my time. But um, but again, those are just for playthroughs. So that's not a, um, I'm not ragging on the, the end result of those rulebooks, but sometimes it can be pretty tough to figure out how to play these complicated games with the rules as they are when I need to film the, uh, the playthroughs. Uh, all right, Justin asks, favorite convention experience? Any shout-outs to any board game cafes you might have visited in the past? Uh, sure, those are two pretty separate um, uh, questions. Um, I've been to a few conventions over the years, um, but I feel like as far as a favorite convention experience is concerned, hmm, I've had a lot of really great experiences, and it's hard to really rank them. Um, I could say, huh. Well, I guess I'm going to be a little bit vague because uh, it's hard to, I don't really want to say this one thing was better than the other, but I could say that the best experiences that I've had at conventions have been related to doing things with other people within the hobby. I know that's super vague, but um, I'll say, uh, say some examples. Uh, for instance, um, randomly uh, bumping into somebody in the elevator who's a publisher, and then an hour later I'm playing a prototype version of a new game that they haven't even announced yet. That's something that happened once that was super cool. It was me with a bunch of publishers playing this one game like uh, in the in the convention hall when the the you know when it was obviously closed after hours. Uh, that was neat. Um, I have been invited to be on a uh, panel with uh, at a show at um, the uh, UK Games Expo uh, where it was like a uh, musical trivia panel with the no pun included uh, people, Efka and Elaine, who are really good friends of mine. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, but then also just numerous times at conventions where I'm just playing games at a hotel or at a bar or whatever and just meeting people that I would never have imagined to bump into and then maybe having a good conversation with that person, sharing a beer, and just walking away from that with a really cool experience. I mean, uh, at the first Essen that I went to, I uh, met up with Ian O'Toole kind of arbitrarily and we ended up playing a couple of games and then I went back the next year and we like made an effort to hang out a little bit and we like got a beer and we chatted a bunch and it was like, I wouldn't say that Ian's like a close friend of mine, but I would say he's definitely a friend, you know, in, in the convention experience. And that was super cool. So uh, that's the, the vague version of that answer. And sorry, I'm not going into too much more specifics, but um, it can be kind of hard to rank. Uh, any shout outs for uh, board game cafes that you may have visited in the past? Sure. I I've been to a couple of good ones. Um, Victory Point Cafe in downtown Berkeley is amazing. I love that cafe. Uh, I am friends with the owners and I made the Kickstarter video for their Kickstarter before it even existed. So I am somewhat biased, but in pre-COVID times, I went there every single week to play board games with friends and I'm good friends with many people who work there. Um, I have been to Game House or Game Hoss down in LA. Uh, I've been there twice. I, I did a show down there with my other job for two weeks and I went down there twice while I was there and they had a great uh, selection, a great library overall. Uh, so I, I had uh, really nothing but good things to say about that cafe. And I'm actually having a hard time thinking of any others. So uh, I think I'll just stick to those two for now. So we can move on to Baz. Uh, they ask, do you ever play board games with your fans? Would you, uh, it would be awesome to play a game with you. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, it's been known to happen at conventions sometimes. Um, if I'm being honest, I really try to shy away from scheduled games at conventions, um, whether that be with close friends of mine, um, acquaintances, or even just, you know, uh, uh, people that I don't know just yet. Um, I found that that can add a lot of stress to conventions. So when this has happened, it's been kind of impromptu, you know, uh, sitting down to a table at like board game geek con where there's only three of us. And, um, 
then, you know, somebody else sits down and um, on several occasions that person has known who I am. Uh, the best way to play a board game with me is to go to Board Game uh, Geek Con. Uh, that's one I have gone to every year for the last six years. Obviously not this year, but maybe in the future. So uh, <laughs> that's the best way to make uh, that one happen. Um, ooh, uh, my wife just reminded me of another really good uh, board game cafe. I knew I was missing one. Uh, and it's the Snakes and Lattes in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, we've been there a few times and they have a really expansive space. Like it's nice and open. It's really welcoming, honestly. They had a bunch of great beer and a really solid board game collection. And um, yeah, I, I've been to that one a couple times. Uh, we have relatives in Arizona, which makes sense why we go out there sometimes. And um, yeah, I highly recommend that one. I, I know there's a main Snakes and Lattes I think on the East Coast, maybe in Canada. I'm not really sure exactly, but uh, I definitely have enjoyed uh, the one in Phoenix. Shannon asks, uh, would you ever consider putting a full playthrough as a reward for a high Patreon sponsorship? I know it's your least favorite part, uh, but for that, 10% of us is our favorite part. Yeah, I, I mean, the honest answer to that is I have considered it and I am still considering it. Um, I, right now, I'm not really offering that one up as an option. I guess, actually, technically, there is the uh, $50 a month version of on the Patreon, which only has one person in it, which I super appreciate, um, that does still technically count for that. I hadn't actually thought about how that worked, but I guess um, that one might play into it. I, I do think I need to rethink a lot of this stuff. Uh, for right now, the $20 a month uh, contributing producers are, you know, guiding me towards just tutorials, not full playthroughs. It's a thought that I've had that maybe that one could be a full playthrough versus others, but honestly, I'm taking one class right now, and after this, I'm planning on taking multiple classes, and my thought was to try and keep my th these expansive projects to a zero for for now, as I'm trying to figure out this new uh, landscape of me trying to do the just the tutorials and, you know, prioritize my time a little bit differently. So I think there is a world where I go back to making more than zero full playthroughs, but I'm not sure if that world is going to be August or September or October of this year. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be this year at all. Um, it's possible. It could happen. Uh, I'm certainly a little bit malleable right now. I know a lot of people really enjoy that. And honestly, the couple that I filmed that are just tutorials so far, it's felt a little bit weird not playing through the whole game. Like, I am curious about how the whole game goes because um, usually when I'm doing these playthroughs, that's the first and oftentimes only time I play the game. So for things like Nevada City and uh, Arkwright the Card Game, which are the two tutorial onlys that I've done, it's a little bit weird to be like, okay, I'm done with that project, even though I've never actually played the game. Normally, I get that one full play under my belt. So it's possible. I don't want to get your hopes up, Shannon, and the other 10% of people, um, but it's definitely possible. Right now, I decided to um, bring that back down to zero. It's, I thought about going to a middle ground, but then I would have to take it away again if I decided that was a bad idea. So I figured it'd be better just to go down to full zero on the full playthroughs, work on tutorials, and I can add gas back into the full playthroughs in the future if I think it makes sense. And uh, that's that's kind of my plan at the moment. And I, I hope that makes sense. Uh, Lily asks, do you like Bruges? Uh, it's getting a re-implementation and I'm really looking forward to it, but rarely see people as pumped about it as I am. Uh, yeah, I really like Bruges, actually. Uh, I've liked that one for a long time. I own it. I own the city on the Zwin ex expansion, and I think I really like it with that expansion. And I am actively excited in, uh, let's see, it's Hamburg. I think that's the name of the new version. Um, I know that this new version is going to integrate the ideas of the expansion, and it sounds like it's going to be 
tweaking things somewhat significantly, like nothing massive, but a lot of little tweaks that have big ramifications. One thing that a lot of people didn't like about Bruges is the fact that um, you draw from two different stacks and the luck of the draw can be a problem. And don't quote me on this, but I think I heard that now it's just going to be stacks of the colors. So there's no randomness there. You don't know what card you're going to get, but if you want a card of a specific color, you can draw it. Um, also, there is a new die, a black die that interacts with the game in some um, way that I don't fully understand. And there's probably some other stuff going on. So I'm quite excited to learn more about that because I really do like Bruges. And it would feel a little bit weird getting a copy of Hamburg considering I own Bruges with the expansion. But depending on the details of how it's different, that still might be one that I end up going for because I do like Bruges so much. I think the multi-use cards in that game are really great. I love planning through all of the options. And honestly, if the rumors that I've heard are true that that luck of the draw is vastly reduced with the colors of the cards, that would increase my enjoyment of the game even more so. Um, so yeah, I think there's also, I think the black die makes people take a random threat and don't quote me on this. Either way, definitely uh, you're looking into it just as much as I am, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, hopefully playing that one at some point. Uh, Shannon asks, speaking of tea games, any early hot takes on Tabanusi? Uh, so Tabanusi is the uh, just released or just announced game from Board and Dice um, that's going to be, I think, going up for pre-order or Kickstarter or something like that next year. Now, I don't have any hot takes because I know essentially as much as you do. Um, I <laughs> the, the publisher gave me a sneak peek uh, one day before the main announcement, so I got like the inside scoop for a very brief amount of time. Um, I, I heard that it's got dice drafting in it, and I do like dice drafting. <laughs> uh, so I think my, my early hot take is I'm looking forward to learning more about it, and I feel very fortunate to have such a great relationship with the board and dice that I will get early access to it because I know they're going to want a video made from it uh, by me. And so I feel rather fortunate, but I don't actually know much more about the game uh, beyond, I guess, the theme. It's about uh, the ziggurats of Ur. And um, I like that. I do like that theme. Uh, I, I don't know the specifics of it too much, but I like that it's really, really long time ago. There are a lot of games themed in the last, you know, couple thousand years, and this is like way beyond that. And so I don't know, that, that feels just a little bit different overall. Uh, John Wheeler says, I love Teotihuacan. I can see what you're saying, but I don't think it is really that much. It's just a little bit fiddly. Uh, that's the thing about Teotihuacan. I I don't want to sit here and say the game is bad. They should have done X, Y, and Z or cut 30% of the game off um, to make the game better for everyone. A lot of people love Teotihuacan, and I feel like it was designed and developed for a specific type of person, and it was that direction is not where I want it to be. So it didn't end up being the game that I want, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just means that I got rid of my copy because I didn't want to keep playing it because it had more going on than I really wanted to teach every time and that I wanted to consider every single time. Uh, it's just a Euro design aesthetic that it seems like uh, Daniel Tashini does a lot in their games. And um, because of that, I'm always fascinated by their designs. I'm always uh, really curious to see how it's all going to work. But more often than not, I am disappointed in the final result because they're just a lot more wheels and gears spinning around than I uh, personally prefer in games, or at least that's the direction that my tastes are shifting over time. Uh, uh, C. Chung asks, what are your favorite small box, that is to say, which come packaged in a really reasonably portable box game, uh, like Arboretum? Um, well, Arboretum is definitely up there. I think that game is brilliant. 
Um, I talk about this game off and on a lot, uh, but a game called Equinox, I think, is a pretty brilliant two-player-only game uh, that comes in a very small box. Like, it just barely holds the tiles that go in there, and it's a pretty cool uh, competitive tile-laying game that, that works for uh, just two different people. Um, I briefly mentioned Carcassonne earlier. Uh, the box isn't um, that small, but I was looking at the pieces of the base game of Carcassonne, and it's a stack of tiles about that large and a pile of meeples. So you could hypothetically fit that into a very small box, although I don't think this really counts because that's not the way the game is sold. Uh, so I guess... Those would be some of my answers. Colorado, um, that's a very small card game in a box, uh, but it's a game that I really enjoy overall. Um, so yeah, I think I'll go with some of those answers. I'm sure there are some other good ones. I'm trying to scan my board game collection in my my head right now, and, and those are the ones that, that have popped up first. All right, Alan asks, what's your favorite cuisine? Um, lately, it's been Ethiopian food. Um, I really enjoy South Indian food as well as Mexican food. Um, I like Thai food a lot, but I'm kind of cooling on it because we have that a lot. But uh, right now, I think if I could eat anything at any given moment, I would pretty much always gravitate towards Ethiopian food. I am just really digging it, and I've been enjoying it for years, um, specifically getting those big combo platters with um, the, uh, uh, oh my gosh, the, the veg veggie sambusas. Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat strictly vegetarian at Ethiopian uh, restaurants because I've never been impressed with the meat dishes at Ethiopian places, but I've been blown away by the veggie stuff, and uh, the injera bread is just wonderful. So yeah, it's Ethiopian, and it's been that way for a little while, um, and it does not to go very well, so right now I'm really looking forward to uh, having Ethiopian in a restaurant once that is safe to do again. Um, let's see. Alan asks, are there any house rules that you insist on incorporating? Um, insist is a strong word, uh, and obviously this is very vague, but I think the best way to answer this is that um, if a game has clockwise turn order and it's an impactful game with turn order, I will very often modify the turn order to actually go around the table based off of like players passing. Uh, th that depends on the game. Uh, well, for instance, Eclipse, when that game first came out, it was supposed to, uh, the starting player was the person who passed first, and then you went clockwise from that person. And I literally never played the game that way because before I had played it once, I sat there th saying, that just gives a huge benefit to the person who's to the left of the person who passed. That person could have gone last or passed last in the previous round. So right from the very get-go, I've made some uh, uh, little uh, index cards to house rule that to go to have the player order be the order in which players passed in the previous round. And I have instituted that house rule in other games in the past as well because um, I, I do think that that is important. And maybe if it's not a game that just has passing, like in the uh, Inseln im Nebel, which I uh, did an impressions vlog for recently, um, that one, the first player goes to a person who did a specific thing the most and then it goes clockwise. Well, next time I play it, I, I will likely do my own variant for player order because I don't think a uh, non-clockwise player order is that hard of a thing for me and my friends to parse. And oftentimes it just bounces a game out. And you can tell they went with clockwise just to streamline the rule set and have one less complication. But I don't mind that extra complication. Uh, Reishi asks, what is your favorite convention? That's easy. Board game geek con because it's just a fantasy world. It's uh, where you just play board games for, you know, up to 24 hours a day for five days straight, and they have a three plus thousand game collection. Uh, you just play games all day, every day. It's it's the best convention as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm pretty bummed that I won't be able to go this year because it canceled. Uh, Julian asks, are there any particular mechanics that you would like to see innovated? Huh. Well, 
Yeah, I, I think I'm just going to go with a gut reaction on this one, and that is pool drafting. I love pool drafting in general in games. Uh, the idea of pool drafting is you have some amount of stuff in the middle of the table, and you it's a pool of stuff, and you take stuff from the pool so that you now have it and other people don't. Um, there are simplistic games that use this, like you know many dice drafting games. Roll the dice, pick a dice from the middle. There are other games like Azul, where that split the pool up into a lot of different chunks, which could be quite interesting as far as how you played off of those. And um, I feel like I wouldn't mind seeing some new ideas in the pool drafting space, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a dull space. I think there, there's some good stuff coming out from there, but um, I really like that mechanic. And I think, I don't know, maybe there's some some pretty cool new ideas that that, ga- that, that mechanic could be seen under, like under a new light or so. So who knows, maybe something like that will happen in the future. Uh, Reishi asks, do you follow any game awards like the Golden Geek Awards, Dice Tower Awards, or the Spiel des Jahres? Um, yeah, I mean, I follow, like, I, I definitely pay attention to all of these. I feel like the Golden Geek Awards are not super useful because it really does seem like it's just a strict popularity contest the way it is. And, you know, that's fine. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I just don't know how useful it is overall. Um, the Dice Tower Awards, I don't really pay attention to. I haven't really in the past. Uh, but the Spiel des Jahres, I mean, it can be a massive driver in the industry. Like something wins the Spiel des Jahres, boom, it's going to sell like over 100,000 copies. So I do pay attention to that. Um, usually the thing that wins the Spiel des Jahres is not something that I'm super actively interested in. Although, interestingly enough, I do have a copy of Pictures in the house. I got sent a review copy of that, but it requires three or more players. And I got this game after Shelter in Place started. So I've still not played it. I still would really like to. It won the Spiel des Jahres. But um, yeah, I'll definitely make that happen at some point. And I do have um, uh, The Crew, which I believe won the Kenner Spiel. So I I pay attention to that as well. Um, I know there's the, I think it's the Hugo de Año, which is a Portuguese award, I think. I, I don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. And generally that goes to heavier games. So I do follow that one because that can be a pretty decent indicator of the quality of those. Um, so yeah, th- those are pretty much the ones that I pay attention to as much as I, I actively do. Uh, Brandon asks, do you like any real-time games? What are your favorites? Um, I have liked some in the past. In general, it's not my favorite type of game. I, I feel like I've been impressed with some recently though. I'm trying to remember. I liked Sorcerer City. I did not necessarily love that one. Um, I, I thought the game as a whole was okay, but I really liked the real-time part of that game where you, um, obviously, you are kind of doing deck building and then you have to play one card from your deck in real time, one after another in front of you in order to try and you know build your city out as best you can. I really liked the real-time aspect to that one. And I think just in general, I like real-time games that are cooperative more than I like competitive games because oftentimes I have a big problem with that. Uh, for example, Bananagrams is a game that I just cannot play. I'm just so astonishingly bad at that game, and it is real-time competitive. Um, I will say that I quite enjoy Dimension, and that is real-time competitive, Uh, so that one is certainly cool. Um, But in general, this is not a type of game that I I super run after overall. Uh, Lily says, did you ever try to paint any board game miniatures? Uh, No, uh, this is not, this is another part of the gaming hobby as a whole that I've um, no connection to, really. I've never tried I don't really have any interest in painting in general. I'm not really a creative person. I'm, I'm kind of trying to be sometimes, but creativity does not naturally come to me. And so painting miniatures seems like something I'm just going to mess up and make it look worse than if it was just, you know, a gray or tan miniature. So 
yeah, I, I'm totally fine with my miniatures being unpainted. I don't mind playing with painted miniatures, but I don't have any interest in uh, going out of my way to to paint them myself. Scythe Noir asks, is there a certain industry that you would like to do project management in since it's a skill used uh, across all industries? Um, the short answer to that is maybe. I'm not super sure yet. Uh, I live in the Bay Area, so you know there's a lot of tech companies out here that need that kind of thing. And, um, you know, from a monetary standpoint, those oftentimes seem to pay pretty well. And that is definitely part of, you know, this whole plan is to try and put myself into a career that um, is a little bit better from a, uh, a wage perspective. Um, I think that there's a potential future for me where I do project management in the board gaming industry. I think that would be pretty cool. I'm not going to force that to happen, but it's definitely something that could happen at some point. Uh, because again, like you said, it can be used across a wide variety of industries. So, I'm not really targeting anything just yet. I, 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 I'm the second week into an eight-week first class out of seven. So um, hopefully by the end of this, I'll have a better idea of what I've liked and what I haven't. I am uh, potentially going to take a specific class about software project development, and maybe I'll run away from that screaming, and maybe I'll learn from that, or maybe I'll think it looks really cool and decide to go in that direction. But I won't know until I uh, do this a little bit more. Uh, Marcelo asks, what are your favorite board game media? Uh, what's your favorite board gaming media? Um, uh, from a YouTube perspective, it's no pun included. I watch all of the stuff that they put out. Uh, I sometimes watch Shut Up and Sit Down. I don't watch all of their stuff, but they do some pretty good stuff. Uh, I do like playthroughs. Uh, recently, uh, the ones that I've been watching, I think it's called Before You Play. Let me make sure I'm getting that right. I don't want to give a recommendation to the wrong thing. Yeah, before you play, um, that uh, it's a pair of people who do full playthroughs and some reviews online. So, so I really, I enjoy that stuff. Um, I listen to a couple of podcasts, but it's pretty much just no pun included and sometimes shut up and sit down. So my board game media is actually mostly Twitter. <laughs> just following people on Twitter and saying what's happening there. Uh, Brooks asks, what are some must-have games for you? I know you don't do a top 20 list or anything, but I wonder if you have enjoyed enough to play forever. Well, I am going to try and answer that really quickly by going to Board Game Geek, and I'm just going to look at the games that I've rated a 10. Uh, so that should be something that I can get to quickly. I have 10 games rated as a 10. Um, so, Concordia Venus, A Feast for Odin with the Norwegians expansion, Pandemic Legacy, Railroad Revolution with the Railroad Evolution expansion, Spirit Island, Terraforming Mars, Through the Ages, The New Story of Civilization, Teach You, and Underwater Cities are all games that I've rated a 10, and I think... Um, all of those except, I guess, Pandemic Legacy, because you only play through that once, uh, I think count for uh, your question about, um, you know, must-have type games. Uh, no, those, don't, those aren't must-haves for everybody. In fact, the relative complexity of those are pretty high, uh, considering I do also enjoy games slightly on the lighter side of things as well. If I look down at some of the nines, maybe I should reorganize some of these. Um, let's see... Like Keyflow is a wonderful game that I can see myself playing a lot. Mandala, I like Pioneers a lot. Uh, Nova Luna is in here at nine. So yeah, th th these are, I think, all good games. And, and Concordia also by itself without the Venus expansion. So um, yeah, ho hopefully that's a, a decent enough, very quick uh, answer for you. Uh, Lily asked if I enjoy dexterity games. Uh, and I do. Uh, it's not the kind of game I run after usually, but um, uh, Minara is a really cool, uh, fully cooperative dexterity game that I quite enjoy. And I've played other ones. Well, Crokinole is a brilliant dexterity game. Super, super uh, like that one. So those are two, probably my two favorite dexterity games overall. Uh, Brooke asks, do you watch anime and what have you enjoyed lately? Personally, I like Dr. Stone. Um, I do not watch anime lately. I watched quite a bit in college. Um, 
which was a long time ago. <laughs> I remember uh, me and my best friend at the time would watch uh, the new episode of Full Metal Alchemist and Naruto back to back because they would come out at the same time. So we watched those as they came out for a very long time. Uh, and I, I very much enjoyed those. And I watched some, you know, wacky movies like uh, and shows like Neon Genesis Evangelion. But I haven't really watched anime in well over a decade. So I can't really speak to it more than just saying I did enjoy them quite a bit back in the early 2000s when I was in college. Uh, so thank you so much to everyone who's been joining in. Uh, hopefully I answered your questions to the best that I could. I know there were a couple that I kind of punted overall, but um, yeah, I, it was really great to have everybody join in. There were about 60 people here for most of this time uh, with... Uh, Wow, almost 500 people came in total, like in and out. That's crazy. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you so much for coming in. And I'll be doing another one of these a month from now. Um, not exactly a month, but uh, check out the update vlog that should be going out in a couple weeks, in, or I guess a few weeks for the exact date of the next uh, one of these Q&A vlogs. And uh, I hope to see you there.